The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, good morning once again. Can we say Happy New Year yet? Can we say that? I guess we can say that, right? We can say Happy New Year to you. Happy early New Year. We also want to just welcome those that are joining us online. We know that many are still traveling and with family, so we welcome those that are online, our live stream audience. Before we dive in this morning, quick reminder, uh, if, any, if any of you, we know that many of you would like to bring your sort of last end of the year uh, donations to the church this week. And so just to let you know, we have office hours at TBC will be this, this week. We're not going to have anything tomorrow, close Monday. And then regular hours, Tuesday and Wednesday, we're close at 2 o'clock on New Year's Eve on Thursday. So just so you know what's happening with that. Um, so this is the last sermon of 2020. I don't know if we should laugh, cry, clap, however we need to address this. Someone's happy about that. Uh, so how do, we, how do you put a bow on 2020? What, what, what would a, a bow wrapped around 2020 look like? I think it might look kind of like this. Um, just never to be released ever again, Right. Um, but without question, this year has caused me to see some things differently. There's been a shift in perspective. Um, so before 2020, I thought my breath was just fine. And I know you probably feel the same way. Um, but early on, I didn't really like the face mask that much. But now that the cold weather is here, I don't mind it as much. It's kind of like a warm blanket for my face. You know, it kind of feels nice. Um, my perspective changed. And... Uh, and so if you're having a difficult time putting, like, words on 2020, how do you encapsulate, like, what 2020 has been like with words? Well, the good news, you don't really need words. You just need some pictures and some analogies. And so I found some of these this week that I think can help us try to put images to what uh, 2020 has really been like. So this is um, if 2020 was like a, a scented candle, what it might look like, right? Um, if 2020 were a pinata, it might be like this. If 2020 were an ice cream flavor, and just so you know, Texas, that's snow is what that is up there on the, the screen. Uh, and then if 2020 were to ever inspire like a Lego set, what might that be like? Uh, something like this, maybe. Um, if 2020 were a slide, like on a playground for kids, might look like that. If 2020 was a bag of chips, You've tried that before, haven't you? I know you have. And if 2020 were a swing. And then if 2020 were a hula hoop, make a great Christmas gift. And then my personal favorite, if 2020 were toilet paper, it might look like that. Was that over the line? That was probably over the line. So if, if you've had trouble describing what this has been like, um, hopefully that can give you some images as to how you wrap your mind around what just took place the last nine months. Uh, so today, we're going to do a, a, a talk on relationships inside the church and also outside the church. And I just have on my heart this uh, message from Romans chapter 12. And so I have, uh, before I dive into the passage, I want to give a quick shout out. I think they might be watching online, um, my parents and also maybe my wife's parents. But I want to give a shout out to my parents um, for celebrating their 50th anniversary yesterday. And then also, what's really cool is that today is my, uh, my wife's parents' 49th anniversary. They're married one day apart, uh, almost 50 years ago for them, and then 50 years for my parents. So really, um, just really cool to see their faithfulness and commitment to each other. 
over all those years. So I had the task of bridging our Advent series to the new year. And last week, Chase did an amazing job sharing about God's love for us, showing us that, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and also Prince of Peace. And this really could be part two on the Love Advent series. So last night I said, hey guys, can you all leave the words up on the, on the stage? Because it's really going to be part two of, of the love message that Chase did last week. I think we have the perfect passage to follow up Advent. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Of course, we all know that 2020 has been a trying year, but one of the most difficult elements has been how it's affected our relationships. And, you know, relationships that they felt distant, we can't gather how we want to gather. But in addition, relationships have felt strained, as we have seen just so much division in our culture all around us. So I think we need God's word to to refocus us relationally a bit as we enter this new year. I think Romans 12 does that very well. The first section deals with relationships from believer to believer, and the second deals with our relationships outside the church. Romans 12 is really all part of a larger section in which Paul shows us um, how to allow God's saving mercy to impact our lives in the here and now. And so we're going to look at this passage here, relationships inside the church, Romans 12, uh, verse 9, where it says, let love be genuine and abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. So under this general imperative, this general command to love, there are three sub-commands, which is be sincere, hate evil, and cling to what's good. So this tells us what love should look like in everyday life. And before we talk about those three subcommands, I want to talk about some two ways in which we reduce love, I think, in the church. One way we reduce it is we, we see it only as sentimental, only as a feeling. But another way we reduce love is we see it only as an action or a choice. And what you see in the church sometimes are these, these two warring camps, like, well, no, no, love's a feeling, and others say, no, no, it's not a feeling, it's only action. It's just gritting your teeth and, and, and just doing loving actions for people. And there's these two warring camps in the church, and I think both are missing out, I think, on what God's bigger picture for love is. You're going to see this in Romans chapter 12, that love combines action and affection. It's a combination of both. The word brotherly affection in the Greek is the word Philadelphia. I know that Tim Carr will love that I said the word Philadelphia in this sermon, but it's the word that we see in the Greek. It's Philadelphia. We do not just perform acts of love, but we should feel something as we do those acts. So I want to look at these three commands that God lays out for us here in this passage. First, love must be sincere and genuine. This, this word means not phony or unhypocritical. The word hypocrite comes from the idea of play acting. If anyone in here has been a part of theater in high school or college or wherever, you know the, the symbol for theater is the, the two masks. And this is what how ancient theater looked. I mean, they didn't have money for all the expensive sets like we have today, so they would just put on the mask and play the part supposed to play. And very often this, in a metaphorical sense, becomes the kind of thing we do in the church. We we play a part 
and we, we put on a mask in that sense of the word. Matthew Henry writes, hypocrisy is doing the devil's work while wearing God's uniform. And I think we struggle here. We struggle in the church. I know I struggle with it. We can be warm on the outside, but inwardly just despise somebody. I mean, this is a South where we invented the statement, bless your heart. And I don't think bless your heart means bless your heart. It means something else entirely. But so there can be this warmness on the outside, but inwardly despising someone. And then secondly, we are to hate what is evil. So again, God is commanding our affections. We should have this strong disposition against evil. We're not just to avoid evil, but we're to hate evil. I know many of us, we think of obedience as just external. Like if as long as I just obey the rules and follow the rules on the outside, it's, it's fine. It's like, no, God, God wants us to have this disposition, this hatred for evil. Not just the evil out there, but the evil that I see inside myself every day. And so we, we, we've seen so much evil in 2020, but it, and it's become easy to hate individuals or groups that we deem evil, but our hatred of evil must be focused on the what and not the who. Notice in this text, it says abhor what is evil. So, so evil should always be a what for us and not a who. And then thirdly, we don't just hate evil, but we cling to what is good. And here's why that's really important, because whenever we love someone and we get caught up in a relationship with someone, whether it's a romantic relationship or even a parent-child relationship, it can dis- that love for that person can distort our view of good and evil. And we see this in song. There's an old song where someone says, if loving you is wrong, then I don't want to be right. And we see this play out in these kinds of relationships. But you and I can't love rightly if we don't also hate rightly, to hate evil and abhor what is evil. Rebecca Manley Piper, she writes, think of how we feel when we see someone we love ravaged by unwise actions or relationships. Real love stands against the deception, the lie, the sin that destroys. So loving people well requires that we also hate evil. I think you and I struggle to confront evil because deep down we want to be loved, right? But that's not real love. It's loving the love that we get from that person is what that is. So how do we love people when we don't feel it? Because the hard part about studying Romans chapter 12 is Paul's going to talk about how you're supposed to feel towards each other. And we live in a culture today that says, well, I can't control my feelings. How can you command a feeling or an affection or an emotion? I can't control that. But I think if you look a little deeper, I think you you, you do realize there's more that we can do here. I think many of us see there's only two options. We see that there's, there's phony love or fake being nice to those that we dislike, or there's sporadic love, just being nice to those that we, that we do like. But there's a third way for us to live, and it's the gospel way. And it's to remember that we are loved by him, not because of our merit or our loveliness or our attractiveness, but remembering his love for us in this way just releases this supernatural love towards other people. And so you and I can go about doing love or acts of love while at the same time repenting and asking God to give us a softer heart, 
Again, I think in our, in our world where we live today, many people, many Christians say, well, I don't want to do acts of love until, until I feel something, because that's hypocritical. And I would say, well, I understand that dilemma, but I think biblically you should continue doing the acts and then simultaneously pray for a soft heart. You don't just wait for some switch to get flipped. You, you repent as you do the works and as you do the acts. And I think when we do that, this is how our affections can change toward people. I think um, whenever we see, uh, we see family language in verse 10, brotherly affection is, is what's described there. Whenever people want to show loyalty or commitment to family, what do they say? They'll say things like, we're blood. We're blood relatives. But this is also true of the church as well. We're, in a sense, we're blood. We are related through the blood of Jesus Christ. And it might not be biological, but it's theological. And you're going to see that language, family language, all throughout um, many of Paul's epistles. Look at verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, the trials of 2020 have led to a lot of zeal. I don't need to tell you that. You know that to be true. But I'm not really sure how much of it was channeled towards serving the Lord. And remember, these these words that Paul's writing, these are directed at Christian relationships. And Paul is saying, don't give up on your brothers and sisters. It is so easy in the church to allow the brokenness of relationships to turn you sour, to make you cynical, to make you jaded. And so what, what happens when we do that is we, we turn our attention away from people and we turn our attention towards a cause. But to love people well requires that we continually open ourselves up to each other. I love how C.S. Lewis says this in his book, The Four Loves. He says, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So whenever you and I open ourselves up to people, we're inevitably going to get hurt, disappointed. Our zeal is going to wane. Our hope's going to diminish. But this is exactly why we can't see love only as a feeling. Because if you see it only as a feeling, it, your love's going to wax and wane with, with whatever's happening around you. I like what Alfred Lauren Tennyson says in relation to what C.S. Lewis said, which is, it's better to have loved and lost than to have never loved at all. And in these verses, we can see clearly how love combines affection with action. We can't make it only about feeling or only about action. It's a combination of both. And Paul says, be fervent in spirit. That means that we should be excited 
or enthusiastic about serving. You know, sometimes in the church we have this, this passion, but we lack direction. Other people may have um, be diligent but lack passion, but God wants both. He wants diligence, but he also wants passion and zeal. And he wants us to not let our passion um, wax and wane with what's happening around us. When you look at verse 13, it's, it says, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When I think of that, that phrase, I think of you, Temple Bible Church. You did this so well, contributing to the needs of the saints in 2020. We had meals for healthcare workers. It was so cool to see back in March when everything hit and we're all so disoriented because of it that we instantly ask questions like, what can we do? What can we do for the city? How can we serve the city and, and the people around us? And you all sprung to action. Many of you provided meals for healthcare workers and shut-ins in the spring. Many of you made masks when there was a shortage. I must have had 20 people just giving, giving me masks. Like, here's some extra masks. Take some masks. And there was a small group that helped with months of daycare for a young mom who was widowed this past fall. We had more given towards food and gift drive than ever before in our history. A year in which giving was more difficult, this is what you did. When this, when this, when this phrase says, seek to show hospitality, that word means to pursue and chase and to run after you know, many of us, I think we, we wait for a need to be brought to us, and of course we meet the need, but this is a little bit different. This says we should, we should look for ways to do this. I think of a couple that um, used to sit right in front of me at the 815 service. Do you guys remember the 815 service? We, no, of course you don't. You come to the 11. Um, we used to have an 815 service here, and there was a couple that would sit right in front of me every Sunday morning at that service. They're both in poor health and can't make it here now. But a couple years ago, I was at, at Churches Touching Lives for Christ with my high school students serving over there on a Saturday. And this couple, elderly couple, was there serving faithfully on Saturday at CTLC. And during a, 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 a lull in people coming in, during a, a break and everything, they took me into an office. They said, I want to talk to you about something. So they pulled me aside and they said, listen, we want to give a young man or woman in your youth ministry some money for college. And I said, well, I, I'm sure I can think of someone that could fit that, the criteria you're thinking of. And they said, but here's the thing. We want it to be anonymous. We don't want anyone to know we're doing this. And I said, well, I don't know how we're going to give someone money and have them not know it's you, but apart from delivering a briefcase full of money in a field somewhere, I don't know how we're going to do this. But we found a way to make it happen where this young man did not know where the money came from. And they just wanted to bless someone and to serve. And this is a couple that was, they were seeking out ways in which they could serve and show hospitality to someone in our congregation. They sought out ways to be hospitable, and so may you and I do the same in 2021. Look with me at verse 14. It says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So now we enter, a, this is a transi transition section. And uh, some of this can be applied to relationships inside, but some can, can be applied to relationships outside the church. Now the word for blessing here is the same word from which we get the word eulogy, like at a funeral. 
Whenever we, we, we speak at a funeral, we speak a eulogy about someone, and it's to speak well of someone despite wrongs. So you've all been at funerals before, where you know, you know the person's story, and, but we're going to say a eulogy, a blessing over this person, and in spite of what they've done wrong in their life, it's not the time to get into all that. And so we see this eulogy, it's a blessing over someone at a funeral, and this is the same word, the same idea being used here, this blessing, that no matter what someone has done, that we speak well of someone in spite of wrongs. And to curse someone is not to insult them, but to wish eternal punishment on them. To wish, to wish that upon somebody is to, is to forget the grace that God has so freely given to us. So all this counters how the world operates. Whenever we bless our persecutors, we point people to the grace that he offers us. We show grace because that's what, that's what he does for us. And in verse 15, it talks about rejoicing with those who rejoice or weeping with those who weep. And the idea is that we're so, we are so connected in Christ that when good happens for one, we see it as happening to all of us. And the same is true for weeping and sorrow. And I would say it's probably easier for us to, to weep with those who weep than it is for us to rejoice with those who rejoice. Because whenever something good happens for somebody else, we often get envious. And envy has a way of, of killing the joy that I should feel for someone when something good is happening for them. And so we are so connected in Christ that when good happens for one, it happens to all when sorrow happens for one, it's like it's happening to all of us, and we share in that. John Stott says this, love never stands aloof from other people's joys or pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, suffers with them. Love enters deeply into their experiences and their emotions, their laughter and their tears, and feels solidarity with them, whatever their mood. And I will say, I think doing this what he's talking about has been very difficult in 2020. Why is that? Because we've seen a lot of pain. And it's just easier to turn a blind eye and look the other way and try to numb the pain. But secondly, we've also experienced so much anger in 2020. I've been angry at individuals, at certain groups of people. But here's the thing. Anger kills empathy. Anger, anger deadens our ability to enter into someone else's joy or someone else's sorrow. I think Chase said this last week, that Jesus is a wonderful counselor. He didn't simply know about our pain, but he enters into it, and you and I should do likewise in the church. So all this has been about relationships inside the church. We relate to each other in this way, inside the church. So how can Christians love their enemies if they cannot love one another? So now we turn to relationships outside the church in verse 17, where Paul says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I'll repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So remember, verse 9 tells us to do what? It says to hate evil. But sometimes as we hate evil, we hate those who do the evil. We identify evil too closely with the evildoer. We think the way to defeat evil is to destroy the evildoer, but doing that only adds to the evil. So repaying somebody with evil is to lose the battle ultimately. It can feel like a win, but it's really a loss. If we have anybody in here that's a big fans of the Lord of the Rings movies or books, we see this happen in, the, in those books and movies. If somebody uses the ring of the evil Lord Sauron to fight evil, what happens? Well, they become evil in the process. The same happens in our own lives. The secret to overcoming evil is to see evil as distinct from the evildoer. I'm reminded of Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. When you and I see evil only as a person or a group, we are more likely to meet evil with evil. And so whenever we read verse 20, I'll read it again to you. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Whenever I read that verse, the first half sounds Christian. The second half does not. Right? When you read that verse, you go, yeah, that sounds like something Jesus would say or Paul would say. Enemies hungry, feed him. He's thirsty, give him something to drink. But then the second part, you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't sound very loving. How is this loving? I used to think this was a, like a passive-aggressive way to get revenge. You know, kill them with kindness. Several years ago, I had this neighbor lived across the street from me. And he wasn't the friendliest guy. And listen, he's moved away. He's in a different state now, so he doesn't live there anymore. So this is not my current neighbors, if you know my neighborhood at all. It's not, not discussing anyone that you might know. But um, to my knowledge, he was not a believer. And, and listen, he was, you try to be nice to the guy, and he just was not a nice guy. And so one day, I'm uh, out doing some yard work, bagging up some leaves. And you know how it is. You bag up the leaves in your yard. But the leaves that are on your driveway or down by the curb you just kind of blow those down the street or into the street because, you know, the, the rain and the wind magically take care of those leaves, right? That's how I do it anyway. Well, this guy, he didn't like that too much. And so I'm out there in the front yard, and he comes out onto the street with his leaf blower, and he's now blowing leaves from his curb, like over onto my curb with this irate look in his eye. And I'm thinking to myself, we're about to have like a leaf, you know, leaf blower war or something like that. And, um, and so I just put myself down. I said, hey, I said, man, listen, I wasn't trying to blow these leaves in your yard. And the guy starts cursing me out, going crazy. And I'm like, hey, hey, listen, listen, we'll make this right. And so I determined that I was going to do whatever he asked me to do to, to fix whatever the problem was. And I will tell you that my outward actions may have been correct, but my inward heart was not. And so as I'm doing the action of, okay, I'm going to get the, this big broom and sweep these leaves into this big dustpan and put it in the trash can. And as I'm doing these things, trying to go out of my way to appease this guy, in my head I'm thinking, 
about this verse, and I'm thinking about, I really would like to dump some hot coals on this guy's head. And so every time I pushed the broom, every time I did something nice, it felt like a bam, take that, bam, take that, bam. That's what it felt like to me. That's what I felt like I was doing, like this passive-aggressive way to get revenge with someone. But that's not really what this verse is about. Again, my outward actions may have been correct. My inward heart attitude was not correct in that situation. What this verse is really talking about It's not talking about being nice on the outside while inwardly despising someone. Many writers believe this is referring to an ancient Egyptian ritual where someone who's repentant publicly would carry around this this bowl of burning coals on their head with a cloth as a public act of repentance. And so repentance is the goal here. Romans 2.4, we see this where it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. And so really what makes all this possible is, is the gospel. And so how does the gospel make this possible? Well, there's four ways. The gospel reminds us how patient God is with us. Listen, we can only live this way. If you go back to Romans 12, verse 1, where it talks about, it says, in view of God's mercy. We can only live this way in view of God's mercy as we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you see, God, he, he, he holds back his final judgment from us, allowing his kindness to bring about repentance. And so you and I have the privilege to model that with those inside and outside the church. And then secondly, the gospel enables us to think of ourselves with sober judgment. When you think of sober, of course, we think of the opposite of that as being drunk, and not being able to see clearly, seeing with blurred vision. You can't walk straight. Many, myself included, many of us have seen ourselves not with sober judgment this year. We're not seeing things clearly. We're seeing ourselves in a distorted way. And so God wants us to see ourselves with sober judgment. Back in verse 3 in this chapter, Paul reminds us not to think of ourselves more highly than we should. You see, in Christ we are free to love the outsider and the difficult, the awkward, because we understand our sin clearly and we understand our acceptance is only in Christ. And so this destroys things like prejudice, racism, classism, or being prideful about your vocation versus someone else. And then thirdly, the gospel enables us to share in the highs and lows of others. It's really hard to empathize whenever we're angry. It's really hard to empathize when we feel superior to somebody else. It's hard to rejoice when, with somebody whenever we feel envious of them. You see, the gospel cuts through all of that. You see, when Christ is your main joy, you can do this. You can rejoice with those who rejoice. You can weep with those who weep because Christ is your, your ultimate joy and satisfaction. And then lastly, the gospel reminds us that there is a judge that we can trust to make things right. You see, you and I don't have to retaliate or get even because we worship a good God who cares for us and cares more about justice than you and I ever will. But the reality is, this shouldn't lead to some kind of passivity. God wants us to work along with him towards these ends. I thought of... um, a story I heard recently about a guy named Daryl Davis. 
Daryl Davis is a black man who is a blues, is a blues musician. And one night, he was playing at this club, and this man came over to him, and they start talking about music, and this is this white man talking to this man, and he finds out later on, they have this, this common passion for music, but he finds out in the conversation that the other guy is part of the KKK. And so they kind of had to strike up this odd friendship, and over the course of weeks of conversations, this man in the KKK decides to give up his robe his role in the KKK. He gives up the whole thing. And so that got Daryl Davis thinking. He started thinking about, you know what? I'm starting to feel a calling to, to befriend some of these guys. So he starts befriending people in this world. And over the last 30 years, over 200 Klansmen have given up their robe because of their relationship with him. This is someone who is living out this idea that We don't meet evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. And we do it so we can point people to the one who truly is good. God, we thank you that um, you are so good to us, that you send your grace and mercy to us, so we can to other people as well. God, may we be a people who don't just exist in some echo chamber of opinions or ideas, but God, may we be a people who are constantly reaching the people that are outside these walls with your gospel, your good news, your grace, and your mercy. God, would you give us a supernatural ability to love each other well inside this place? And then from that place, be able to love those that are outside the faith at this moment and hope to bring them in to come to know you, Father. We pray this in your name. Amen.